Welcome to C3 Church Central Coast Sermon Cast. We pray that you'll be inspired and impacted by this message and trust that you're better equipped to live your best life. Great to be with you this morning. What a great part of the world this is, Central Coast. Went and sat down by the beach this morning. There's people swimming there. I saw a guy jumping in the water without a wetsuit on this morning. It's got to be a bit chilly, surely. It was so beautiful in the sun. What great pastors you have. I think, um, I think these are, I, I, I'm declaring this, that in the kind of over 30 bracket in C3 Church in Australia, these are the fittest pastors in the movement. Chris ran a marathon last year. Just the thought of running a marathon makes me want to go and lie down and eat a Mars bar. <laughs> and then we're, we're driving up from the airport uh, last night. Chris came down to pick me up and uh, Ruth rings and, and then talking about a hockey game. And I think, oh, she's out with Bethany or one of the kids at a hockey game. And, and Chris tells me she was playing in the hockey game. Two, you played two hockey games. I really need two Mars bars and a really long lie down now. That's amazing, isn't it? I feel overwhelmed. I feel like a fat slob. Don't agree with me. <laughs> I look like, no, don't think that even. But it's, uh, it's great. I love your pastors and we've had kind of more to do with each other in uh, the crew that we hang out with and 500 plus and so on. So it's great hanging out with Chris and Ruth and uh, your family and Eleanor. Is Eleanor here today? I don't know if I've met Eleanor before. Congratulations. Woohoo! Getting married. Oh, it's great. You can have sex then. I'm an older guy, so I'm allowed to say that in church because I'm rapidly approaching 60 and, and I have a grandson. Has, has my grandson been mentioned yet today, Jack? I've got to mention him everywhere I preach. My little, he's nine months old. He's just, oh, he's just so, hang on. We've got a, we've got a one hour slideshow straight after the service. If you're honest, who's got grandchildren? Isn't it glorious? Yes. And no one else cares. Okay. Whatever. It is, uh, it is good. Been married for uh, 30, 33 years, 34 years nearly, and still happily married. And who knows? Happy wife, happy life. Who knows that? All the guys agree with that. And my wife has just published um, her first solo book. We wrote the book about kids together. And she said, you've got to take some books to the Central Coast of New South Wales, and you've got to tell people about my book. So I've got to report to my wife. I've told you about her book, and you can buy that. It's about the story of Esther, and it's kind of written in a narrative sort of style. So if you want to grab that after the service, grab that. I don't want to do too much promo, but I've got to keep my wife happy. It really is important. How many people here have ever been to Perth? I like doing this. Wow, that's pretty cool. I like doing this in crowds in the eastern states because a lot of people have never been to Perth. It's got like another country. It's further away than most countries. <laughs> it's quicker to go to Fiji, isn't it? New Zealand and, and kind of New Guinea or somewhere else rather than go to Perth. But um, if you ever come to Perth again, come visit our church right in the northern suburbs. Has anyone ever been to our church? Who's occasionally I'm bumping to people who've been to our church, northern suburbs, in one of those prettiest parts of uh, Australia in the city of Perth. But this is this is a nice place to live, isn't it? I've kind of never really been kind of around here much. I just kind of breezed in for a couple of hours last year, but. This is really a nice place to live, nice place to be. Let me just pray before I preach. Father, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you that you've given us uh, the Word of God to minister strength into our hearts. And I'm asking, Father, that as we open the Scriptures today, that you would be powerful into our lives, that wherever we are at, Lord, you would minister strength, 
you administer life, you administer your spirit into our heart at whatever junction road that we're at, Father. Come touch us, come fill us, come anoint us powerfully by your presence in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Di and I are at that stage where both of our children are married, well and truly married now, and uh, we're empty nesters. So about four or five years ago, we, we, we started to think like all baby boomers do. Um, our debt isn't big enough. Let's get more debt. That's what baby boomers do. And we thought, you know, we've never been to Europe, never done the big European holiday. Um, we've sacrificed over the years and built a new building in our church 12 years ago, and we do big missions programs every year. So every year we're kind of putting a lot of uh, lot of uh, what could be a European holiday <laughs> into, into the offering like you guys are doing, sacrificing for the kingdom of God. But about five years ago, four years ago, we decided, look, let's go and do the big European. Every boomer has to do this, go to Europe when the kids are gone and ramp the debt up a little bit more. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Or am I, no, it's not only done in Perth. Good. And uh, Diane said to me, she said, look, my mum and Di's mum at that stage, is, uh, she's about 84 now. She's about 80 years old. And so, look, mum's been to Europe a lot of times. She's traveled a lot, but she's never been to the west coast of Canada, done the Alaskan cruise and the Rocky Mountains train ride and all that. And, and would you consider, Di's father has passed away, would you consider instead of just the two of us going to Europe for a month, would, would it be okay if, if we took my mother? my mother-in-law, for a month to Canada. I had to pray about that for a little while. And I eventually said, okay, we'll do it. And uh, so we spent a month. I spent a month with my mother-in-law, my wife, in Canada. And when I get to heaven, I'll be the guy with the biggest crown. (laughs) How many guys here have ever taken their mother-in-law on a month's holiday? Down the back, well done, sir. You'll have a crown just as big. There'll be a special reserve part of heaven for the guys who've taken their mother-in-law on a, on a month's holiday and uh, on a cruise. And uh, you ever seen that movie, Throw Mama Off the Plane Train? And uh, anyway, we survived the month. But one of the great decisions we made, we did a 10-day road trip from up in the Rocky Mountains back down to Vancouver. One of the great decisions we made, and I don't know where I found this, but on the web I found this GPS satellite system that wasn't just a kind of sat nav sort of nav man thing it was like a tour guide connected with nav so as you drove along it kind of told you the history of the area of the town it was like having a tour guide sitting in the back seat it would actually tell jokes it would tell grizzly bear jokes as you're driving along then it would do little scenic things and so on. It was kind of for 10 days on the road trip. We had this thing on all the time. It was fantastic. It would be a male voice sometimes, a female voice. When you go over the Continental Divide in the Rocky Mountains, the, the rivers are running one way uh, to the Hudson Bay uh, at one point. And then you go over the Continental Divide and they run the other way into the Pacific Ocean. And it would tell you, look, 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 look on the left. There it is. Now the rivers are running there. You go, wow, this is so cool. One road we were going on the, on the road to Whistler. It was a magnificent alpine drive and running water and steep ravines and rocks and and beautiful tourist drive. But the road was a mess. There's potholes and broken bitumen all over the place. And I said to Diane, we're driving this left-hand drive. And I had to really concentrate because I had my wife there and my mother-in-law in in the back. And so glad I had this navigation system where I could say, be quiet, mum. Got the navigator. And and I just drive along and I said to Diane, it's quite amazing. This is a major tourist road. But there's potholes everywhere. It's broken. You'd think they'd look after this road a bit better for the tourists. And about five minutes later, it might have even been less, but three minutes later, 
the voice comes over the system and says, you may be wondering why this road has so many potholes. And I go, it's the CIA. They've been listening to us all the time. And then they begin to tell us that every winter the snow and the ice is so bad, they just smash the road and, and they cannot keep up with the maintenance of the road. So it was a glorious thing. But one of the great things was it would give you tips of where to turn. So it would say in a kilometer, if you'll take the next right-hand scenic drive turn, you'll find a waterfall about 20 minutes drive. There's a car park by the waterfall and a 15-minute walk to a waterfall. And if you walk another 30 minutes, there's even a bigger waterfall if you want to turn right. 500 meters, the scenic drive is coming up on the right-hand side. And I look at Diane and say, well, left-hand drive. I'm looking at Diane and going, what do you think? We should, we should take a risk, trust the voice, have a go. What do you reckon? At 250 meters, if you turn right, the scenic drive will take you. Should we give it a go? What do you reckon, Mum? No, be quiet, Mum. I'm not listening to you. I've had enough of you already. <laughs> Any memory? No, no. You're a good, great mother-in-law. Okay, mine gets a bit grumpy. Every, anyway, don't send her, the, send her the podcast. Imagine my mother-in-law listening to a podcast. That'd be, she's just learned how to text. That's freaky enough. I can text from your mother-in-law. Oh, no. I shouldn't have given him my number. And I thought, why not? Let's trust the voice. Did a big right-hand turn. And, and no joke, about 100 meters after the turn, the voice would come on and say, good choice. <laughs> How cool is that? And we did this whole 10-day journey trusting this voice from the unknown. On which way to turn? Which way to go? And, and the huge joy and the benefit of listening to this voice and making the right sort of turn. And it's kind of a bit like the Christian life. You know, I've, I've been a, a believer now for, wow, 38, 39 years. We've been following Christ for nearly four decades. And I find that the Christian journey, we were chatting about this over dinner last night. Sometimes it is a marathon where you just pound away and plod away. Other times you're sprinting hard and you've got the sense of God on you and you're running and going for it and strong and off to Thailand to do something significant for God. And you just, boom, you go on a speed. Other times it's slow. It's a walk. Sometimes it's a crawl. Other times it's just, oh, God, I'm going to sit down here and just stop for a minute and ponder what's going on. And... The great thing about the Bible is there are different journeys in the Scriptures, fabulous journeys that, that kind of reinforce this whole symbol and feel of a journey. And in the Gospel of Luke, which is really one of my favorite New Testament books, the writings of Luke are great. Luke and the book of Acts combined writings, 26% of the New Testament from one guy. In his writings, he kind of takes us on this journey it goes through about 10 chapters, from Luke chapter 9 through to Luke 19. And if, if, if you're in, you know, it's kind of middle of the year in winter, and you might have, you know, that you know that Bible reading program you started in January? I'm going to read the Bible through this year, and it's kind of like July now, and it's kind of, well, I can't quite remember that Bible reading program, and I'm a little bit bored in the Bible. Have a go at this during the week. Just start at Luke 9 from the first verse I'll give you. Go through to Luke 19 and follow the journey of Jesus. It's magnificent. I'm not going to preach the whole 10 chapters. You'll be pleased to know that this morning. But I want to take you to the start of this journey and get some feel of what it's like to do a journey with God. So if you've got a Bible, digital or old technology like I've got up here today, paper, um, come with me to Luke chapter 9, verse 51. 
Is that, um, can I just get a bit more fallback out of that speaker there? This guy on the sound somewhere? Lady on the sound? Someone? Oh, over there. I'm looking over there. Someone just got up and moved when I said, thanks, bro. Just a little bit more out of there. I'm speaking a lot today, so I'm trying to save my voice. Luke 9, 51. And uh, Luke starts this whole feeling of journey, picks it up as Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. That's great. Thank you. Luke 9, 51. As the time approached for him, for Jesus to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. They're on this journey into the unknown, this journey of not sure where it's all going to end up. The people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. There was ethnic division between the Samaritans and the Jews. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? These guys were pretty well, John was thought to be maybe 17 or 18. They were pretty well teenagers or early 20s. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. All noise, just loud noise. And you can see why. And I think it's quite, it's quite funny, really. They're kind of like, um, it's amazing. John became eventually the apostle of love, didn't he? He wrote all about love in one John. Love one another and everything. But he, his start was not so auspicious. He wanted to barbecue some Samaritans. <laughs> the real incredible thing is, is that maybe he'd been to the, to the Elijah School of Prophetic Ministries calling down fire seminar the previous day. But the amazing thing was that they actually thought they could do it. <laughs> so like, yeah, Lord, I can call down fire. I was practicing out the back before. Fire. I mean, these guys are just way over the top. No wonder we need a journey. Where our heart's at. You know, when I think I got saved at 19, gave my life to Christ, and I was a young tearaway, a firebrand for Jesus at 19. But you and I need a journey if we're going to end up as people of love. As people, as, as Chris so eloquently, man, you're a good preacher. I have never heard you in a pulpit before. You, you're a good preacher. I, I could have sat, actually, I could have sat there and listened to you this morning. Thought, this guy could preach. You know, come on, here we go. He's a, <laughs> I thought you want a Sunday off. <laughs> but just as Chris was saying, the, the family feel of who we are as church, the, the journey God takes us on to mellow us out so that we're not barbecuing people. We're not meant to be calling down fire and burning people. You mean to be producing love? So, you know, Luke says that Jesus just turns and rebukes him. You can imagine Jesus rolling his eyes, turning around, going, "Oh my goodness!" Another gospel says Jesus said, "You know what? What sort of attitude is that? What spirit is that? My, I haven't come to barbecue people. I've come to save them from the barbecue, actually, and to get them into a better place." Jesus turns, rebukes. They went to another village, and so this. Whole feeling of journey, of moving, of traveling, of going from where you are to, to a better place, of learning to hear the voice out of the unknown and take the right sort of turns. Verse 57, the journey continues. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, and I always pictured this as a, as a, as a young guy, a kind of, you know, young sort of, um, the guy on the sound, is it Dan on the sound? Dan, how old are you? 19, okay. So I kind of picture the guy who's going to say these words like a Dan. Because these are the sort of words that a, that a young Dan would say, that a young, passionate man would say. Older dude like me wouldn't say this sort of stuff. Because we know there's a price tag hanging off it. But a young guy, he goes, I'll follow you wherever you go. I wouldn't say that. 
I've been around God way too long. I would be more circumspect. I will follow you, maybe, possibly. Where are you going first? Let me ask. Whereas a young Dan, you know, I can imagine a young Dan sitting out in the crowd and just yelling out. And people would do this in first century Israel. They would yell out to rabbis, I'll come with you wherever you go. Wherever you're going, I'll travel your road, your journey. I'm on the journey. I'll hitch my wagon to your train. Come on, let's go. So Dan yells it out. And then Jesus replies. And if you've been around church a long time, you kind of go, yeah, that sounds right. But if you're new to church, and let's pretend that we've never read this verse before. And listen to the reply of Jesus. Dan, tells, Dan, can you help me out here? Can you just stand up and yell out? I'll follow you wherever you go. Can you do that for me? Uh, come on, you're bold. Go, go for it, man. I'll follow you wherever I stand. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, man. That's great. That's a Freudian slip there. That's what you all want to say, actually. <laughs> I'll follow you wherever I'm going. <laughs> I think I think you you're an old dude in the heart there. I think that's a, that's a wise move. Uh, that's cool. So Dan stands up and yells this out, and Jesus replies, "Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head." Now, <laughs> now, if I was Dan, I would probably go, "What? Foxes have holes, birds have nests." But I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Uh, what the? What? I'll follow you wherever you go. Yes, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. And I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. Okay, is there anybody else I can follow around here? Because this guy seems to have lost the plot. I mean, seriously, we're so used to the Bible and hearing that phrase. Oh, yeah, that's what you'd normally say if, if someone yelled out, you know, Pastor Chris, wherever you're going, I'm with you, man. Foxes have holes. Birds nests. And I don't know where I'm sleeping tonight. I mean, seriously. I mean, I'm just reading the scripture here. This is the words of... Does anyone find that a little bit weird? A little bit, what the? Rabbis would do this in the first century. A Jewish rabbi would rather say, rather say, you know, today in Australia, Dan, fantastic, awesome, man, you're with me. Brilliant. A rabbi would often just throw a roadblock in the way and say, check it out. What Jesus is saying, hey, Dan, you want to follow me? There's no guilt edge guarantees here. There's some risk. It's not a path that's all laid out and every step is set. There's going to be at times the voice from the unknown saying, take a right turn. You up for it? Because Dan, you know, I, I, those 30 years of my life, I had a bed in Nazareth. Mum would make it for me. And every night I knew where this head was hitting that pillow. In Nazareth. But you know, in a matter of hours, I got to sleep. And a fox can have a hole to scurry off into tonight. A bird who's singing, you can hear the birds singing this morning. How cool is that? It's a nice sound. Don't hear that in many churches. He said, But you know, in a few hours, I I don't even know where I'm going to sleep. Even the most basic need that a human has at night. 
I'm not sure how that's going to get met. You up for it, Dan? See, young guy, yeah. Old guy, well, let me pray about that. Building fund, oh, I need to think about that a bit longer. Stepping up, go to Thailand. Well, I don't know. You see, the, the Christian life is built upon your capacity and my capacity to take risk. To not have everything laid out. To actually hear the voice from the unknown and take the right turn when you should take it. To take the left turn when you should take it. To step into the place of faith and trust that you need to step into as a believer. And I think what Jesus is asking of this young guy and asking, of course, of us is, are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to believe? Are you willing to be a person of faith? Are you willing to take risk, step into different zones? Now, trust is a whole different baby to faith. Trust is a whole different deal. The way I think about trust when it comes to risk is I see trust as sitting down. Trust is a very relaxed sort of deal. Once you get to know God, you can trust him. See, trust is built upon knowledge. Um, don't be naive about trust. You know, I, I, I trust Chris. Chris came up to me and said, John, can I borrow 100 bucks off you for today? I'll, I'll get it back to you in the morning. I'd get 100 bucks. We'd be down to the ATM, pull out 100. Yeah, Chris, no problem. 200? Yeah, take 200. I know you get it back to me. I trust him. I know him well enough. I trust him. Um, the guy down the back who took his mother-in-law on holiday, uh, I'm sure you're a fine gentleman. You, you'd have to be, actually, to have a crown as big as mine. But I don't know you. I, I don't know your name. I don't know your background. If you came up to me and said, John, could I borrow $100? I would say, God bless you. No. He's walking out now. He's had enough. That's it. I've lost him. Why? I don't trust people I don't know. And you're not meant to trust people you don't know. That's why the more you know God, the more you can trust him. Trust is built upon knowledge that as you know someone. So when you first get married, you, you give each other your life. And Eleanor and who is it? Caleb you're marrying? Caleb, lucky guy. You know, and you trust one another now. But I'll tell you, after 30 years of marriage, you will trust each other far more than what you trust one another now because you'll know each other far more. Trust is built on this wonderful sense of I know God. That, that's why we have a Bible to read. That's why we have prayer to know God. So the more you know him, the more you can trust him. And I, I see trust very much as a sit down, relax. God, I trust you. I remember when our, our son was born 28 years ago, and he was born uh, two months premature. Spent a month in hospital and human crib and incubator and all that sort of stuff. And it's only a few pounds. He, he could fit. Hard to believe now. He's a huge boy. But uh, he used to, could fit on my hand as a baby. And for the first couple of weeks, we didn't know if he was going to live or die. It was kind of touch and go. And, and I remember being in my lounge room just praying and saying, God, God, I don't know if Luke's going to live. I don't know if he's going to die. And, you know, if you're a parent, you, you have sleepless nights if you're a parent. And I couldn't sleep. You know, son's in the hospital and her little daughter was 80 months old. And, and uh, Luke was just 
Is he going to live? Is he going to die? And I remember being up late one night, just pacing up and down, worrying and worrying and praying and worrying and praying and doing the anxious prayer thing and just saying, God, I don't know. Then out of my mouth came this kind of thought. And I'd known the Lord about 10 years at this stage. People talked about trusting God and I just nod and I don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah, trust God, whatever. And out of my mouth came this, came this prayer. I said, Lord, if Luke lives or if Luke dies, I don't want him to die, but if he dies, I'll trust you that it's the very best thing for him, for us, for Aaron, his sister, for my parents, for everyone in our church. I'll trust you regardless of the end result. God, I won't like it if he dies, but I'll trust you. I know you well enough that you love me. Like we sang this morning, you love me so deeply. You care enough about me, you sent your son to die for me. And, And trust is where you take the weight off your feet and you put the weight back on God. You say, God, you know what? I can't figure this out. I don't know how this is going to end up. I don't know if it's going to be black or white. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad. I don't know if it's going to be beautiful or ugly. But bottom line, however this works out, I'm going to still know that you're good and I'm good with you. That's trust. And there are some, sometimes that I think in the Christian life, we carry stuff we're not meant to. Some of the stuff that we hassle over and we worry over, and it's the beauty of church, is you can come into a service like this and God just kind of reminds you, hey, why don't you sit down for a while? Why don't you take the load off your faith, off your feet? Just hand it over to me and trust me for the outcome here. Because our, our son lived, thankfully. But there are moments that you just have to hand stuff over to God and sit down and relax about them. Now, faith's a whole different kettle of fish. Faith is not a sit-down, sort of relaxed deal. I, I see faith as a stepping front foot sort of deal. About um, four years ago, in fact, it's probably, yeah, I'll tell you that story first, but about four years ago, um, I, I went through a whole health scare with uh, prostate cancer and had them prostate out and all sorts of diabolical things related to that, which all turned out okay. But we're kind of going through a health scare, and, and it was really something I just trusted God with. But at the same time, we had massive financial pressure um, in our world. Financial pressure was just coming from one source in our life. And I, I remember kind of, if you've ever had cancer, you know that emotionally you're not pretty, you're not really good when you've got cancer. You're a bit emotionally mushed. That's what you are. Whether you're a bloke or a lady, it doesn't really matter. You tend to just end up a little bit confused and a little bit upset. And I found with my health, I could trust God, but not really believe God. I had other people believing God. But this financial pressure was on our world about four years ago, just kind of really pushing hard in on us. And you know what I decided? I thought, you know what? I'm not going to trust the Lord with our finances. I'm going to believe God about our finances. And this is the difference. Trust is sitting down, relaxing, resting. But sometimes you and I, even in our laconic sort of laid-back Australian way, sometimes you and I need to step up and get on the front foot and say, Lord, you and I are in a partnership here. God, can you have a look at this situation over here? That thing should not be like that. That thing should be like this. The word over this thing is, is bad and ugly and evil. And, Lord, the word over that needs to shift. The atmosphere over that thing needs to change from the way it is to the way that it should be. And you join hands and hearts with God in a partnership of faith. 
Now, I remember doing that through the whole 2007. It says, personal financial pressure was honest. And even though I wasn't feeling great because of my health situation, I thought, there's no way I'm putting up with this. God, I'm on the front foot. I'm believing you. I'm standing in faith. I'm confessing in faith. I remember when we built our building uh, 12 years ago, we had a property as a church, and uh, we were launching out in a, in a multi-million dollar property and five acres of land and everything. And uh, we ended up in a situation with our property where we could see our way clear to two and a half million dollars of raising and borrowings and so on. But the project was coming in at three million dollars. And we got to the point where we said, you know what, we, we just got a little gap in the finances, just a small gap of half a million dollars, Pastor. That was all. Just a little gap, little $500,000 gap about 13, 14 years ago. And we called a members meeting of the church and we got up there and one of the best friends of my life, he's still with me, still on our board, Andrew Jenkins. He's the financial controller of Mrs. Max Foods. Do you have Mrs. Max Pies over here? Buy them. Eat them. Bless. Be, what's that? Cheese and bacon is gorgeous, is it? Oh, I tell you, Mrs. Mac, buy their product. You will bless our church. <laughs> you will. And so I get Andrew up and I said, uh, church, you know, I've got a little problem with the money. Just a little thing we need to tell you about. Andrew, why don't you come over here and share with the folks? And uh, Andrew gets up there. He's a financial controller. He's an accountant, CPA. He's, he's up there with his tie and his shirt. And he's looking typically like an accountant. The difference is Andrew is an accountant with faith. And he gets up there and stands in front of the people. And he has a little, we, you know, had a little over projector back in those days. He's putting the slides up and, and he just points out to the people. You may notice there's a little gap between two and a half million and three million. It's a, called a half a million dollar gap. And um, we don't know where this money is going to come from. Um, but he stood there and he's accountant sort of way. He's not a pastor preacher like, he's just there and said, well, we just need half a million dollars from the Lord. And the Lord will provide for us, and let's believe together and do this whole faith thing. And I got up after him and said, thank you, Andrew, for telling us that. Come on, church, let's stand. We're going to believe God. We're going to pray. And what we did, we didn't sit down and trust. We got on the front foot and said, God, you need to come through for us. God, this is the situation. This is what it looks like. This is what it feels like. This is what it sounds like. Some of you in your homes have an atmosphere and a feeling that doesn't feel as peaceful and as restful as it should. Some of you go home and it feels a little bit, oh, man, I just can't kind of settle. You know you need to change that. You know you need to partner with God and say, God, have a look at my home at the moment. It just doesn't feel. Some of you have a bit of demonic pressure coming on your homes. You need to go home and stand in your lounge room and say, hey, in the name of Jesus, Father, you and I, are going to bring an atmosphere of power and presence and peace into this household. And God, no matter what anyone else brings into it, every time I step into my home, there is going to be anointing, provision, presence, and peace. Amen. Sometimes you just got to make a stance. We made a stance as a church. Within a couple of months, the tenders came in for our building. We had a commercial building, a few commercial builders around Perth putting tenders in, and... And the third biggest commercial builder in Perth put a tender in that was $470,000 under the quantity surveyor's amount for the building. That builder was the biggest donor to our building project. And the half a million dollar gap shrunk and disappeared. Sometimes you don't trust God and sit down and just hand over to God. Some things you have to you just hand over to God. Other things you've got to kind of go, you know what? This has got to shift. 
And you guys are endeavoring to raise money for, for 101, is it Mains? Mains Road, 101, what, you, what you're doing with your, your time to build. And um, I love this couple here, you got up here, and uh, Frosty, Frosty, Mrs. Frosty, <laughs> Emily. <laughs> sort of look on your face, Mrs. Frosty, I don't know about that, don't call me that. Emily, got up here and just, just your faith, saw faith all over you, gift of faith on you, spirit of faith. Wow, we're doubling it, we're having a go, we're... I could see the look on your face, man. You were like excited. This is an adventure. Guys need adventure today. It's a bit hard sometimes. You know, kind of sort of suburban lifestyle. We have to have an adventure. You're an adventure. It's a phenomenal adventure. I don't know how this is going to happen. The voice is saying, turn right. Should we turn right or not? Will it work out okay? God! Yeah, faith is not this composed. God, help me. Lord! Lord! Good on you. You can see a spark in your eyes. It's remarkable. Here you're, you're, you're making a sacrifice. It's remar- this thing is remarkable, I find, about faith. When you make a sacrifice, because your heart is stirred and you rise and you see a bigger future, bigger than yourself, you get that spark in your eyes. It's great to watch this one. Just see a bloke up here going, yeah, double it, man, giving it a go. Giving it a go. Good on you. You're going to have a great year. You, no, you are. You, no, no, you will have a great year. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. And then there's another guy, and I'll finish with this. The tables are turned now. They're not Dan yelling out. No one else is yelling out, I will follow you, because they're all a bit confused now. And what the? So Jesus turns to another man and says, follow me. And the guy replies, Lord... First, let me go and bury my father. And then Jesus says something that, that a lot of you have probably read, and, and I've read it and gone, my goodness, that's harsh. And um, I've read some brilliant commentators on this in the last few years, and it's given another little angle on this verse. And I'm going to share that with you before we finish today. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And at first, you know, it's straight out reading, you go, my Jesus loves me. I don't think so. But dad's just carked it. And, and Jesus said, oh, don't worry about the old fella. He's gone, you know. Get out there and preach. My, that's kind of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <clears throat> I don't think so. I think he's very wild. You know, this is crazy stuff. What's going on here? Well, um, first thing is, is that generally in the Middle East, the culture is still actually, uh, especially amongst Muslim folks, but just generally in the first century, whenever someone died, they were buried within 24 hours. The heat, primarily, is the reason behind that. We can understand that. They're never refrigeration. So, man, you don't let a body hang around for a week to bury it. You get it over and done with. Um, and once, once you buried your father, you didn't go wandering out in the street as part of your mourning. This guy's father hadn't just died, and a few hours later, this guy's out in the street checking out what a rabbi's doing. Here's the cultural background that will help you understand what's going on here and why this story is so helpful to us. Is that what would happen is that a son would take his father when he died within the first 24 hours and put him in a temporary grave for one year. After the year had passed, the son would then go and raise the coffin, take the bones of his father, put them in a permanent coffin, and bury him permanently, sometimes in the side of a wall, a rock face, sometimes into a cave. 
but a year after death would be the permanent burial. What this guy was saying, his dad was already buried temporarily. What this guy was saying is, Jesus, I need to hang around for another six months. Now, Jesus, there's another three months before I have to bury my father permanently. Lord, there's another nine months. Lord, can we just kind of hit the pause button on this faith deal? Could we just kind of not do it right now? And that's why Jesus is saying, hey, leave that stuff. You've got time to act now. It shifts the whole focus of that verse and makes sense in the character of God. Our book over there, Chris mentioned about raising great kids. Di and I had about 90% of that written for quite a number of years. And I remember uh, preaching through the book of Proverbs one year in our church and preaching on laziness. And I got so convicted that I'd been so lazy about that book that the last 10% was not finished because of one reason, my laziness. Nothing else. Couldn't blame the devil. Couldn't blame anyone else. Couldn't blame a staff member. Couldn't blame a volunteer. Couldn't blame God. John Finkeldy was lazy. John Finkeldy was procrastinating. John Finkeldy had his finger on the pause button. And I got in front of my church with the the manuscript, 90% done, and said, I repent. I'm generally not a lazy person, but man, this is a selective sluggardness. In this area of my life, I'm lazy and I'm a sluggard. I repent, we'll have this out within a year. And I did. It's nothing like public accountability to make you move. So I'll do it to myself. I'll whip myself into shape in front of my whole congregation. Now I've had that book out for about 10 years. You know, sometimes you've got to hit the play button to get faith and trust activated. Sometimes it's just plain old laziness. Sometimes We've been disappointed with God, tried the faith thing, and it didn't seem to come off. Chris and I were talking about raising money for building funds last night, and I, and I told him, I said, this will encourage you. We, our church has never reached any goal we've ever set for a building fund ever. <laughs> never. In fact, I stopped setting the goals after a while. I just said, forget any goals. We're just going to raise money, and God will work it out, and he has. <laughs> Sometimes you can get a bit kind of like, God, what's going on, you know, but... Sometimes I, I find in those moments of disappointment, God is always trying to teach you something about yourself and about him. And what does it mean for foxes to have holes and birds to have nests, but stuff to happen? This morning, as you and I sit here as people of faith and people of trust, I know there's some folks who have been walking with the Lord here decades like I have, is that this morning I, I've come really to encourage you to strengthen you in both elements of trust with God and elements of front-footed faith with God. Why don't you close your eyes where you sit? Just where you sit and just close your eyes. If I could just have whoever's on the keyboard just come and play for me, that would be great. Just where you are, just close your eyes. It shuts out the distractions, helps you kind of... uh, Focus in on just what God wants you to do out of this morning. Some of you this morning, you've got something that's weighing upon you. It may not be as, you know, um, kind of dramatic as the a life hanging in the balance like of my son. It may be as dramatic. You may have a health issue. There may be 
family member that you're deeply concerned about. There may be a situation at work that uh, boss has not been a good boss. He's been a bully. Boss is not doing the right thing in the workplace. You're not getting looked after like you should do. But there's something in your life that you need to trust God for. Something in your life you need to say, God, I'm going to lean on you. I know you're good. I'm going to lean on you. That's you this morning where you're sitting. I just want you to raise your hand. Saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this thing. And, and almost put it in your hand and put it up to the Lord. And imagine it's just in your hand and hold it up to God. Go ahead and do that right now. Just hold it up to the Lord and say, God, I'm, I'm handing this over to you. I'm giving this situation, this person, this thing. I'm putting it into your hands. I'm letting it go. Just lower your hand whenever you want. That's fine. Just before I pray for all those folks, anyone else wants to just lift something up to the Lord, just lift your hand up high and say, God, I'm giving it over to you. Here it is. Good on you. Thank you, sir, down the back. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. A lot of hands. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, down the back. This is a great moment in a meeting where we can affirm again, Lord, I trust you. I know you. And you are reliable. That's what trust is. Trust says you're reliable. I know Chris would be reliable if I lent him that money. I'd know tomorrow I'd get that money. No doubt. He's reliable. Father, I thank you for every person who's raised their hands. Raised their hands. And in their hands have been people, family members, workmates. In their hands have been situations, pressures, anxieties. And Lord, we decide today that we're going to rely upon you for the outcome there. We're going to trust you. We're going to lean upon you. We're going to lean not on what we understand or what we know, but, Lord, we're acknowledging you in this situation, and we lean upon you to work it out the very best, God. Father, we hand it over to you. We cast it upon you. You care for us. We cast it upon you in Jesus' name. Father, let that shift now in people's hearts and minds let them feel the sense of rest rest every time this week that you sit down as you sit down just in your heart think you know what i'm trusting god right now i'm sitting down as you sit down to a meal as you sit down at a desk as you sit down in your lounge chair watch your favorite tv program just kind of say to yourself i'm trusting god right now i'm trusting you lord I trust you for this. I trust you for this. I trust you for this, Lord. Now, there are others here this morning who need to get on the front foot. Some of you, for whatever reason, are just letting something go by, and God wants you actually up and at it. He wants you partnering with him, declaring change, seeing change. Some of you need to go home, make that declaration in your home of atmospheric change, of the peace and the presence of God. Some of you over your financial world need to make that declaration over your financial world. God, I believe you to change this situation. Some of you over your relational world, some of you over work scenarios need to make declarations of faith, confessions of faith, speaking out the word of the Lord, the promises of God. Some of you need to kind of hit the play button. Pause button is pushed down way too far. and need to hit the play button and activate that thing. Step into it. Have a go. Take a risk. Take the right-hand turn down the scenic drive. 
sure foxes have holes, birds have nests. And Jesus didn't know where he's sleeping. Sure, there's a risk. Sure, there's no guilt edge guarantee in this deal. But that's the Christian life. That's the life of courage and strength we're called to. And if God's spoken to you this morning that, you know what? I need to step up into a moment of faith on this issue. I want you to stand up. Just stand up wherever you are. Just stand up. Make a stance. I'm not going to get you to put your hand up. I want you to stand up like you're going to get on your feet and say, God, I'm getting on the front foot of this. This thing is not going to bully me around anymore. This thing is not going to have control. I want you to stand up firmly in your heart knowing what you're standing for. That thing. That thing. That thing is going to change and shift. Now, you might have to change some of your language about it, some of your prayer about it, some of your declaration about it. You may have to change the way you're handling your thing, yourself around that thing. Maybe you've just been in your language, in your words, you've been just saying negative things and unbelieving things. You'll need to shift that. Some of you actually need to go out of this meeting and do something. Actually activate your faith with action. Actually, you're going you're to step and do something today. Some of you, this is related even to your, and Chris hasn't asked me to preach on this or anything. Some of us related to your giving into the building fund. God wants you to activate faith over your giving. Right now, in the name of Jesus, if you've stood up, just lift your hands towards heaven. I am a firm believer in physical actions, precipitating responses of God. Just the fact you've stood up today says, I'm taking a stand. I'm not sitting down. I can trust God on this other matter, but on this matter, Lord, I'm rising up. Pause button going off. Play button going on. In Jesus' name, I'm standing up. I'm standing up. I'm standing up. I'm making a declaration of change over that situation. That is not going to stay the same. I'm going to move into this thing. God, you're big enough to handle this. God, you're big enough to change this. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, right now, in the name of Jesus, place the spirit of faith, spirit of faith, right now, in the name of Jesus, right now, in the name of Jesus, let a gift of faith flow through this congregation. Gifts of faith flowing. I'm just going to come and pray for some people. Gifts of faith, gifts of faith, in Jesus' name. Gifts of faith, in the name of Jesus. Gifts of faith, in the name of Jesus. Gifts of faith. Gifts of faith. Faith in Jesus' name. Faith in Jesus' name. Faith in Jesus' name. God responds to us. God responds to us. Good on you, man. God's responding to you standing up. Jesus' name. Lucy, spirit of faith. Change on this thing. Change on this thing. Change on this thing. Change in the name of Jesus. hope you have enjoyed this message and feel challenged and encouraged. Please let others know about this free podcast so they too can grow and learn to live their best life. You can find out more about our church and ministries at www.c3cc.org.au. God bless you.